I said before, It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite movie of all time. Again, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to do so. Obviously, for time reasons, there's so much of the movie that we had to cut out, so many parts of the movie, uh, and some really fantastic scenes that I would love for you to see. So I encourage you to watch it. Now, It's a Wonderful Life is interesting. Um, if When you watch the whole plot, you'll know that George Bailey had so many plans and dreams for his life. As a young man, he wanted to become incredibly successful and travel the world and become a great architect and do all these great things. And time after time, it follows him throughout his life. And it shows all of these disruptions, these disruptions to his plans, these disruptions to his dreams and you see how his life totally changes and then it all climaxes to the point where he loses hope and it just begins to be too much for him. And the idea of disruptions is something that I want to talk about. Disruptions are common. We all can relate to having at least one disruption in our life of the way we thought things should go and they turn out differently. When you read about the Christmas story, the original Christmas story, it's often not the way some culture depicts it of this peaceful, beautiful, clean event. The birth of Jesus is a story of disruption. Everything changed at the birth of Jesus. Everyone who is in the story of the birth of Jesus had a major disruption in their life because of this event. Read any person who is documented in it. Their life changed. But the greatest example of this is when you look at the life of Mary. Now, Mary had her own dreams as a young Jewish woman. She had her own dreams, her own plans, her own vision of how her life would go. She was engaged. She was promised to be married to a man named Joseph. And just like many other young Jewish women in her time, she probably just dreamed of living a quiet life, raising a family and serving the Lord. But this all changed when an angel appeared to her and announced that she would be carrying the son of God. And immediately Mary is flung into controversy because Mary's a virgin. And all of a sudden she's not even married yet. And she's carrying child. And Matthew, he documents this. He said, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph didn't want to deal with this controversy surrounding Mary's pregnancy. He didn't want that for her and he especially didn't want that for him. So he planned on divorcing her. There's a major disruption. But fortunately, the same angel appeared to Joseph and convinced him otherwise. He told him that he was still to take Mary as his wife. 
but the disruptions just continue because as we know, this was not a traditional royal birth. She's carrying the Messiah, God's final king, but this was no birth of a king. She gave birth to Jesus in a filthy manger. She laid him in a filthy manger in what was probably either a filthy, disgusting uh, basement that kept animals or possibly even a cave. She wasn't surrounded by royal guards and servants. She was surrounded by farm animals. And the blows would only continue to them when an angel appeared and warned Joseph in a dream. King Herod, who had learned about the birth of the Messiah through a group of wise men, a group of magi, felt incredibly threatened. If this was God's final king, his kingship and his reign would come to an end. So he ordered that all the boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding area, age two and younger, be killed. So the angel warned Joseph and told him to flee, and they fled to Egypt. All of a sudden, they're living in a foreign land, trying to save the life of their baby boy. What is this? How is this the story of the birth of a king? The angel said, get up, take the child to his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Now, as Jesus grew, Mary would see how incredible her son is. Even as a child, he would travel to the temple and he would be teaching the religious leaders and they would be captivated by his wisdom. And as he grew into a young man, Mary would witness him perform miracles. Even at her request at a party, at a wedding, he turned water into wine. And a great following formed around him. News began to spread of this miraculous man. He even raised a man from the dead and Mary was there to see it with her own lives. And the talk began to spread that he was the king and he was about to establish his kingdom. And finally, it seemed like that promise that Mary had been given all those years ago was finally going to come to fruition. That all of her trouble and difficulties would finally be rewarded. That he would establish his kingdom and overthrow the Romans. And then Mary watched as her son, the man who was promised to be a king, was tortured, beaten, mocked, and crucified. Mary witnessed her son, the child she gave her life up for the child. She sacrificed her dreams and the life she knew for dying a shameful death. What happened here? Pastors do not communicate this nearly enough. We try to 
glamorize the Christian experience and do anything we can to convince people to come to the altar and follow Jesus. And and we don't communicate this nearly enough that Jesus will completely ruin your plans and replace them with something far greater. In fact, I'll even go as far to say as Jesus will completely ruin your life. Jesus will ruin the life that you know and the life that you may want for yourself. And maybe that sounds offensive to you, but Jesus communicated this all the time and he offended everyone. He communicated this throughout his ministry. And this is one example found in Matthew. Then Jesus told his disciples If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus said, If you want to follow me, you have to give up your life. You have to allow me to disrupt your plans and your dreams and where you think your life will go. Jesus may completely ruin your plans. He may take your selfish dreams and cast them away. He may flip your definition of success on its head. He may lead you to think less of yourself or think of yourself less. He may call you to sacrifice everything, but only because he wants to give you something far greater than you could ever imagine because Jesus offers us a new way to live. Shortly before Jesus's arrest, he gathered his disciples together and he tried to warn them about what was to come. He told them that he would be going away to his father's house and he would be preparing a place for them and that they would know where he is and they would know how to reach that place. But Thomas replied, he said, we don't even know where you're going. So how on earth will we know how to get there? And in John chapter 14, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus offered them and offers us a new way. And the way of Jesus is life altering. His way offers unimaginable peace, hope for eternity and a clear purpose for you and for me. 
No longer are we under the power of guilt and shame. And no longer does fear have a hold over us. All the major questions of life that you may have are answered through his way of who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And the men and the women who truly embrace this way of Jesus have completely altered all of human history. Mary was the first person to learn among the first women to learn that Jesus had risen from the dead. We see this in Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on the way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And then later on, Mary would be among a group of disciples to first receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And for the remainder of her life, she would continue to be a founding member of the way because that's what they called themselves, the way. This movement surrounded around the teachings of Jesus and the way of life that he presented. We shouldn't know about Mary. A woman, a lowly woman, who would have had zero rights in her time. We shouldn't know about her. We shouldn't know about Peter, a fisherman. We shouldn't know about Matthew, a despised tax collector. We shouldn't even know about Paul, a religious leader. But we do. And not because of who they are, but because the way of Jesus gave them a legacy unlike any other a legacy that's allowed them to be known around the world 2,000 years later. They were given a legacy through love. And that's what Jesus wants to give you. By embracing his way of life, Jesus will grant you a legacy far greater than yourself. One of the most important questions you and I can ever ask ourselves is what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever written it down and made a list? What do I want people to say about me at my funeral? 
Do I want people to talk about how much stuff I had? Do I want people to talk about how much overtime I put in? How clean my house was? How successful I was at my job? How many cars I had? How much I knew about my football team? How much time I spent on Facebook? Man, I never met anyone who spent more time on Facebook than him. How much time you spent watching TV or playing video games. Do you want people to stand around sharing stories about your love? About your generosity? About your kindness? About how you were a loyal husband or wife, how you were a great mother or father, how you were an amazing friend, how you impacted their life, how you made their life better because you were in it. Will you have a line of people at your funeral waiting to share a story about how you led them to Christ? What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Jesus wants to give you an amazing legacy. The truth is, is at the end of somebody's life, nobody cares about the earth's definition of success. Whether or not they realize or admit it, what they care about is Jesus's definition of success. It's two great events that completely changed my life and disrupted my life and changed my plans. One was when I was diagnosed with bipolar depression. The other one was when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Both of these major disruptions would completely alter the way I thought my life was going to go. Everything changed. And one of the reasons why I love It's a Wonderful Life so much is because I can relate to George Bailey. I can relate to having dreams and goals and a vision of the way my life is supposed to go. And then some sort of disruption happens and hope is lost. Even question whether or not you should keep going. I've been there. I've questioned whether or not I should give up but I haven't because I know this life is about much more than me because I've embraced the way of Jesus. And I understand it's not my life. I've been given. I am accountable. I have a purpose here. As long as God wants me here, there is a greater way that I am supposed to follow. And this way, this life will only ever be about you until you embrace the way of Jesus, the way of love. 
And if you do that, at the end of your life, I hope you'll look back, see that you followed a different way, and that you'll be able to say, it was a wonderful life.